For January 4th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 653. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. Never happier than when we are frolicking together and finding out what what sparks our spark, what sparks our joy. No, that's uh, Maria Kondo. Uh, uh, what what sparks our, our purpose? No, it's not a purpose. It's a spark. A spark is not a purpose. Purpose is not a spark. It's a spark. What sparks our joy? That's why we've been stuck in this podcast for the last... 12 years <laughs> because we haven't yet found the spark that will enable us to uh, get on with our uh, get on with our our real lives down on earth. We're talking about soul, which was released on um, on Christmas Day uh, by Disney Pixar on Disney Plus and uh, excited to talk about it. We did uh, WW84. Um, which guys was better than the previous, uh, 83 WWs. But, uh, you know, we, we talked all about that last week and, uh, we're talking about, talking about the other Christmas Day release, talking about soul. Um, you ever notice that's a funny word to say soul, 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 soul. I mean, there's a lot of. It's the capital of South Korea. It's the type of fish. <laughs> thing at the bottom ben, of your shoe. Ben it's so many Soul is one of my favorite shows on AMC. On, on AMC. Let's have a glass of water. Um, all right. I'm Matt Rather. I am here with uh, my fellow shapeless, formless soul uh, souls ready for bodies, Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hello, Matt. And Mr. Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. All right. But you can call us all Jerry. Uh, <laughs> so, Jerry, what did you think of the movie? No, nah, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's hop in. Let's hop into Seoul. Pausing only to say that the uh, the 2020 holiday movie challenge is now complete. You can read all of the reviews on overthinking it. It was a lot of fun to do. Uh, both both uh, Mark and Pete, as well as I, contributed. Um, capsule reviews of some eclectic holiday films and it was uh it was nice to do it was fun to be back doing editorial again doing uh text editorial that was kind of a fun fun thing that brought back the old days uh when we were a blog um blog we were a blog with soul soul blog uh but that uh that was good and then uh you know the other thing if you haven't checked it out yet we uh reviewed some christmas music on a one-time only return of the tft podcast that's on the the homepage of the site as well let's dive in and talk about uh let's dive in and talk about pixar's soul and i just want to start out by saying pete does your life have a purpose you know, Matt, people have people have said a lot of things about this movie, but I just wanted to put one thing out before we get into the really nitty gritty conversation. Other than the fact that they probably listened to our podcast about the purpose of life and used it as a basis for this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, but also, I just want to say that there really hasn't been enough of the commentary around this movie that has addressed the obvious, it seems, but yet hiding in plain sight fact that they took a jazz musician and turned him into a cat. Uh, you know, because cat is a is a is a euphemism or sort of a sobriquet 
A cool Jasmine cat, if you will. A cool cat, indeed. Yeah, a cool, yeah. But he wasn't a cool hmm. cat, was he? He was more of an awkward cat. Uh, he was not a grumpy cat. But yes, I just I just wanted to say that that for, for as far as takes go, that seemed undertaken. But uh, afterlife joke, as it were. But <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but so yes. So what you're referencing is that some time ago, uh, during one of our story two handers, yeah, Pete, it you, was uh, it happens to have been on January sixteenth, twenty seventeen. Uh, it was episode four hundred forty six of the Overthinking a Podcast. Uh, entitled, They Look Like Clocks and Candles, But They Can Actually Sing and Dance. <laughs> so we ended up, was that when we talked about Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, I we think? ended up mostly talking about uh, Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Yeah, because we talked about sort of instrumentality, for lack of a word that isn't referenced in the Genesis Evangelion. Uh, yeah, we talked, because well, you, you trolled me by telling me ahead of the podcast that there was going to be a question that you were going to ask me. And the podcast would be based in part, at least on my initial response to the question. And your question is, does your life have a purpose? Right. And, and as I recall, though, yeah, I, I asked, I asked the audience, Pete, I asked the audience for a <laughs> one word suggestion of a non-geographical location like bathroom or doctor's <laughs> office. And the first thing they shouted out was, does your life have a purpose? Right. And you know, right. you play the room as it lays in this business. And I think my primary response to the question was the idea that a life that a life is bigger than one purpose, like a purpose is not a large enough thing to encompass and justify a life in itself, which I think is sort of where soul comes down, right? In the sense that that the the characters who are looking for a thing that defines them, that they are passionate about and do, Sort of, you know, the old, if you love your job, you never work a day in your life kind of thing. And the movie comes down in a sort of uh, Q-esque manner. And by the way, back in the day for us, Q didn't refer to, uh, you know, wild conspiracy theories. It referred to erudite transatlantic uh, space deities uh, or or the various continuum dwellers. But yeah, sort of a, a Q-esque musing at the limitations of humanity. Right. And considering that the the that life might be so justified by something as the job that you do. Right. Uh, whether you find it fulfilling or not. Right. That kind of thing. Um, so I thought so I thought, of course, they must have listened to our podcast and plagiarized us like so many other people. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I was. I was but, oh, yeah. yeah. Do you get 100%. your this is 100 percent an adaptation, unauthorized adaptation. Oh, yeah. And uh, we should get uh, we should get checks for this. I was just I was just musing while you were speaking, Pete, that that back in the day, uh, Q meant an, an omniscient super being uh, telling us the secrets of the universe and nothing has changed. So soul. <laughs> Soul is the trial never ended. <laughs> down, down in the prehistoric goo. I was just starting to have fun. John, John Delancey, God, God bless you, John Delancey, yeah. and thank yep. you for everything you've brought to uh, wherever you are. Uh, yeah. Thank you for everything wherever life finds you these days. Um, all right, so so quick plot summary of Soul. Uh, Soul centers on a band leader, a uh, high school band teacher, and jazz musician. He's played uh, by the actor Jamie Foxx, 
and uh, he uh, on on the day he is conflicted, uh, but in his job between uh, the safety of his you know union teaching job with health insurance and whatever, and uh, his passion for jazz music, which is a much less stable uh, life, but it is where where his heart is, um, and he uh, gets the gig of a lifetime, right. And dies <laughs> moments later. <laughs> moments later, he uh, like falls down a manhole and yep. uh, is dispatched to the afterworld, to the great beyond, uh, where um, he uh, is on an escalator to the stars, but uh, does not want to give up his super sweet jazz gig. <laughs> 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 does not does not want does not want to spend life in eternal bliss and would rather go back and and uh play piano for 90 minutes uh and he uh so through a, a series of misadventures he ends up in a different department of the afterlife he sort of scrambles off of the escalator ends up in a different department of the afterlife uh where he is um you know, there's a mistaken identity thing. None of it particularly, none of it particularly important, uh, unless we decide later that it is. Um, but uh, he uh, he ends up in the place instead of the place where souls go after their worldly journey has has ended. He ends up in the place where souls are before uh, their worldly journey commences. So he ends up in sort of the before time where souls are are. I don't know. How would you put it? Loaded up with uh, what is called a spark. And he ends up sort of tethered to uh, a another character, a recalcitrant, um, you know, sort of incorrigible soul who, despite many, many uh, efforts by many, many mentors, has not managed to find its spark yet. This is voiced by Tina Fey. And uh, through further misadventures, the two of them uh, end up back at Earth where the uh, where the events of the movie ensue. Spoiler alert for Soul um, after after the fact. I don't know that uh, that doesn't like give away what happens, but that's the that's the premise of the film. Have I have I left out anything that you think is salient for for getting on with? Should we just round out like more or less how it ends? Sure. Right. Um, which is in, in a very ambivalent way, right? And he he plays a gig of a lifetime. We don't get to see if he chooses um, his staple teaching job versus the life in an itinerant jazz man. So that's very much left up in the air. Um, but more importantly than that, right? Um, Twenty two, the the character played by Tina Fey, um, she eventually gets her spark, and then we find that the spark is not like your purpose or your passion. It's just like how uh, what's the best way to describe it, right? Um, it's how you take enjoyment from everyday life and just sure. kind of be. Sure, it's Is something that fair to say. Yeah, it's that's a kind like of the kernel. That's like the real crux of the movie there. So let's make sure we get that right. It's something animating, if you will. Hmm. Because yeah. it's a cartoon, and I will. Yes, yes. See, it's a cartoon. I don't know, Pete. What else did I? What else did I leave out that uh, is important here? You know, this is probably the longest into the description of a Disney movie anyone has gone without mentioning that a main character is turned into an animal. 
Because usually it's kind of the headline, right? <laughs> like, he oh, is no. his own animal sidekick. <laughs> yes, right? yes. The Disney Ouroboros has eaten itself. Yes. So so the movie is basically a shot-for-shot shot remake of Bolt. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that there is a sort of strange animal sidekick. Yes, no, there is a there is a there is a freaky fr- freaky Friday shaggy dog kind of thing going on where uh, they, they body swap. And antics ensue. Yeah, one might think that it was going to be a longer part of the movie. What there are like much like Wonder Woman 1984, it is possible to imagine individual pieces of the movie soul being expanded into full movies in themselves. Right, uh, capers, uh, premises, character introductions that end up being kind of side plots that could have been the main plot. Things along those lines. Um, I don't I don't think it, it I don't think it is nearly as cacophonous in such in such things as Wonder Woman 1984 is. But it is similarly a movable feast of movie ideas. But yes, one of them is that the jazz man gets turned into a cat because his his soul upon surrep- not surreptitiously, but clandestinely uh, reentering the earth without permission uh, lands a little bit off to the side. And uh, so if you're a fan of body swap movies, uh, like I think they often involve Alan Thick. Maybe back in the day, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's no shortage of them in the Disney uh, in the Disney oeuvre, so in the Disney paradigm. Uh, so you're welcome to do so. But yeah, even I mean, like what? even it's, like it's, the pa- the Parent Trap, which is a kind of like more much more naturalistic take on the body swap. Uh, it is a non supernatural yes. body swap. It's right. a person- the Prince and the Pauper. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, another one. Per- Personality yeah. swap. Yeah, so so that uh he ends up in the cat and and Tina Fey as a disembodied soul who has, you know, hitherto been unembodied, or sorry, is hitherto the other the other way or the other uh which I I forget whether that's the backward looking or the, the forward looking one, where before she had never been embodied. She is all of a sudden embodied in the body of a middle aged man. Uh and and um Gets to uh, gets to figure out life from uh, from that has her first taste of life through through that lens. And, you know, I'm just going to start out with an observation, with a resolved uh, with a resolution here. And we'll we'll see. We can go from this. Um, This guy has no business being a teacher. Resolved. This guy, <laughs> the chair, well, the chair will now entertain arguments for and against the proposition. So, so I, I know where you're coming from. Uh, I will, I will provide the initial counter argument, but then I will, I want you to run with the main argument. And, and Matt, Mark, if you want to get in it as well, it is. It would have been possible for this movie to end in such a way that it reaffirmed to everyone that this guy was a teacher, right, a good teacher. And that he was merely struggling with teaching, you know, which involves projecting a lot of the hopes and dreams that you maybe at one point held for yourself onto a younger generation of people. My playwriting instructor in college said, you know, oh, you know, I was once told by a fortune teller that I, that I would never be famous, but my my students would would achieve great fame and fortune. And that was enough for me. Right. Um, which I think she ended up ended up being correct for a variety of reasons. But at any rate, <laughs> uh, not not me because of this podcast, <laughs> we have we are we are the uh, we are the dreamer in the dream to horribly misquote Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, or quote out of context. But you know what I mean, as in. He, this is a guy who you think might be coming around to the idea of, oh, yeah, I like music, but it turns out that either 
my real passion is teaching, my real talent is teaching, or because music didn't really work out for me as my career, teaching is my career, or, hey, you know what you do a lot of music in? Teaching music, right? Uh, (laughs) And like, oh, you know, maybe you should make the leap from being a middle school music teacher to a college music teacher. Like, that's not terribly, I mean, it's difficult, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, like up through, there is a, a student there is a sort of what? Okay, so one of the movies that is in this movie is a Shaggy Dog movie about a jazz musician who turns into a cat and a very old baby who turns into a middle-aged man. One of the subplots in the movie is a Mr. Holland's Opus movie about a dissolution band director who never gets to act- actualize his own dreams as a musician because he is constantly struggling with helping kids. And there is a uh, and also with other things going on in his life, right? And the duties of being a teacher and the trials and tribulations. And there's a trombone player in this movie, a little girl, who you get the sense he has a really important and powerful role in the life of, which mirrors, you know, 22, this soul that he's potentially mentoring, right? And there's supposed to be a point being made about mentorship and the notion that the great people are not necessarily the best mentors. Sometimes the best mentoring is happening behind the scenes. But this factors so little in the end of the movie that you have to think, that at some point it's kind of a repudiation of it, right? Or like, oh, this guy never was the guy that I thought maybe he was going to be. You know, I thought that there was some sort of Mr. Holland's Opus thing going on here, but there isn't because ultimately it's about leaves and air and not about, you know, conducting Holst the planets, you know, in a in, in sort of down tempo for the sixth time in 10 years, right? Um so uh, not the whole thing, just Mars bringer of war. Right, right exactly. That's all anyone. <laughs> that's all anyone does. For the- <laughs> uh, fun, fun fact: uh, my entrance music for the groom walking down the aisle at my wedding was Jupiter bringer of jollity, uh, and it and it crushed. It was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. So sorry, uh, Mark. Did I? Uh, clarify that a little bit and open it up for for Matt's counter argument here yeah yeah yeah, that's really good I'm not gonna really counter the the argument though that he's not really well suited to be a teacher and to kind of take this in a bit of a, a different angle here right thinking about um my own experiences as mostly as a music student but to a limited extent as a kind of a music educator and a facilitator of music right the idea is that um you know what's really telling right is that at the beginning when he's trying to communicate to his students the power of music and like the passion for jazz, right? He he waxes poetic about his own experience, and then he sits down at the keyboard and then he he just like jams out. And if I recall correctly, that and it's been no solid week since I've seen this movie, that does not really land with his students, right? <laughs> is that Pete? Is that you saw them more recently? Yeah, yeah not, not only not only does that not land, but there's a moment where one of the students jams out in the middle of a song and it is kind of confusing and embarrassing for all the other students. And right. so there's a notion, and I wonder if this is where Matt's coming from, because I, I was blind to that particular take on it as an issue for him. But uh, I'm curious, Matt, what you, what well, you're, just, where, just to, to tie off that point there, already. I mean, yeah. he's not actually, in, you don't actually see him inspire his students. Right, right, right. Like very, very, he jams very, out, they jam out, but he's not actually running a class. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Interesting. Well, interesting. I feel like, I feel like uh, here's, here's the thing that, struck me about it he seems so so uh uninterested in other people you know throughout throughout the entire throughout the entire film uh and it's not it's not just the students though like you would think that like a a minute like a necessary though not entirely sufficient but a necessary condition for being uh a teacher would be some uh, any kind of good teacher would be some sort of interest in who your students are 
right? Um, and that, uh, you know, and sort of where they're at, <laughs> like, and what, and he seems sort of, uh, like the, the opening stuff, the opening sequence in the class is like mostly about how boring it is to him. You know what? I'll bet the kids aren't having all that great a time either, uh, <laughs> for what it's worth, you know? Um, and that, like, uh, that, but then, like, even in you know, in his barber shop with his the the guy who cuts his hair, who he's known for all these years, right? It's it's Tina Fey's character who actually, when when he has the the one on one lesson, the private lesson with uh, the young girl who plays the trombone. You know, and just by listening, just by kind of like going, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, and nodding, uh, nodding his head and kind of, you know, while she's rubber ducking, you know, uh, like, is that a phrase that y'all know? Like, uh, rubber ducking, talking as though to a rubber duck, talking to oneself, though. <laughs> Though as though a uh, as though to someone else, it's like a problem solving sort of method. You you have, keep a rubber duck on your desk, and when you have a problem, you describe the problem to the rubber duck, and and so Ooh. lead yourself to the solution. Um, so like, and uh, just by sort of being the rubber duck for her, like uh, really, Tina Fey really helps her helps this girl a lot, kind of resolve a lot of uh, questions and conflicts and stuff like that that she's having around. Uh, playing the trombone and like the fact that it's kind of embarrassing to her that she's into it and like she wonders like you know is she good and like how should she pursue it or should she and like you know she's in high school or middle school or whatever so like is it cool it's certainly not cool and what does that mean like and just by listening whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> playing trombone isn't cool <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry pete <laughs> oh, I man. I hate to be the guy who has to break this to you <laughs> after we've known each other for twenty years. Well, but you know, coolness is subjective. You know, it's it's you know. <laughs> I guess so. In middle school, playing trombone is not cool. <laughs> Thank you for that brief return. I don't want to go into a fugue state of like, what have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you you'd end up thinking to yourself <laughs> but uh the um you know does more for her tina fey does more for her in those 30 seconds it seems like then this guy has done for her in their entire kind of pedagogical relationship together or for the for the barber like the barber tells him this this fascinating story about his life um you know and that like uh he had never been curious he had and you know why did you never tell me that before well you never never asked buddy and that like he had never been he had never been been curious curious enough so you know i don't know like i i i am blessed that i have had very good teachers in my life and they have all sort of taken an interest in the people um people who they were teaching and i'm i'm taking this from the prime of miss jean brody the 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 play and film um that that like you know education from from the latin words uh, ex meaning out of and ducere meaning to lead to lead out the metaphor being that you were sort of leading out the uh, either the sort of the latent person who is who is yet to find form uh, as in the film soul or, you know, a new person who is kind of being formed through the, the pedagogy that's, that's, uh, you're undertaking, right. You're leading that person 
leading that person out. And I would say that a, a necessary precondition of that is sort of an interest, <laughs> you know, taking taking an interest. Anyway, so uh, sorry, I've been talking for a minute, but like I just wanted to point out that it it does strike me that this uh, you know that this person does seem like very very sort of fundamentally in, uninterested in other uh in other other minds and like it you know to the point where he doesn't even realize that he's in a pixar movie right you know and the point is being nice to people right <laughs> <laughs> the whole point is well, being you know well that's the thing what just to be clear right his character is on a journey in this movie he starts out oblivious right i mean he's like literally walking through traffic uh, almost gets hit by cars and then actually falls into a manhole. And then by the end of it, he has a journey and he learns some stuff, right? I mean, we can be charitable in the movie in that regard, no? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and the end, sorry, not to sk- just skip to the end, but the the end, you know, um, kind of the lesson being, I guess, sort of drawn from, it, it seemed like it kind of came out of left field to me of like, you know, I, you know, I had never really been involved. Like I'd been kind of floating through my life with all these, these assumptions and kind of unexamined ideas. And like, what am I going to do with my life now that I have a second chance at it? Well, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you better believe I'm going to live every second of, of it, meaning like live at a higher quality, like be present for or whatever, you know, whatever sort of however you kind of uh, spiritualize and like uh, describe that that aspiration to kind of live your life to uh, uh, live your life to it to the fullest. And I, so I guess maybe maybe I'm misdiagnosing his problem, right? Like maybe he's disconnected from everything, as it were, to the point to the point where he's falling into an open manhole, uh, as you say, um, as you say, Mark. So like uh, rather than being like uh, uninterested in his students, maybe he's just kind of out to lunch. Uh, and I, you know, I guess there is that, like he is, you know, though, though not as great an artist as the, uh, as the fellow who's, um, who's throwing the, the arrow sign around on the sidewalk, uh, you know, he is, a, a an artist. And so he does get kind of lost in his own, um, you know, lost in his own kind of uh, creative mode, right. His sort of, uh, thing. Which Below is, state. Yeah. I think is what they call the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a, it's a really, I mean, kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting thing and it, and an interesting kind of suggestive idea, almost theologically that like, you know, it's great. Um, it feels good to be in that flow state, but like it, it sort of disconnects you from the world. Uh, which is true, you know. That's uh, uh, that's true. Anyway, I've gone very far afield of of my first point. I, Pete, I should yield the floor in case you want to circle back to anything. Well, sure. So you touched on the, one of the other subplots in this movie, which is part of, one of the ways of envisioning this movie is as is Disney does Bleach. If you're familiar with the manga and anime Bleach, which ran forever and has giganto swords in it, lots of them, which is the story of the Shinigami, the Soul Reapers who are responsible, at least on a surface level, it gets more complicated, with safely ushering the souls of the departed to the other side, right? Who dwell in the soul society and who have to confront the problem of souls that get moored, unmoored, and marooned on Earth. 
uh, unable to pass through because there's something that's they're attached to that they can't detach from or some dimension of moving on that they're incapable of doing. And souls that fail to do this in Bleach become what's called a hollow, right? The idea being that you have a chain that kind of links your soul to you know, well, basically grounds it, right? Links it to where it needs to go and what it needs to do. And uh, over time, if you have an attachment to the world, the chain binds you to the world, to the thing you're attached to. And over time, the chain can erode and break. And if it does, it, it recedes until it leaves a hole in your heart, at which point you become a giant monster that needs to be fought with a giant sword. And then there's a giant sword fight, right? And so... It's a, it's, it's a very – it's not necessarily the most coherent story in the world. It goes in a lot of directions. Uh, there are vampires at some points. But, um, but this movie has this subplot of – that in the great beyond, there are souls of the living and of the unborn, if not also of the dead, right? Because we're led to believe that, that Terry the accountant – uh, which is another there's also a final destination movie in this movie where there is a a supernatural being who seeks to kill the uh, people who cheat death. But uh, which is, again, edgy for for Pixar. But in this case, there is a story of a small group of individuals on Earth who are spiritualists, Gnostics, uh, psychedelics who are able to use trance and meditation and potentially substances to pass through into the spirit world, sort of a form of astral projection where they sail on a giant like a uh, boat that plays Bob Dylan with Grateful Dead, you know, Grateful Dead, right? Uh, accoutrement generally all over the place. And they hunt down the lost souls who it's not that they're still attached to something and they've died. It's that they've become unmoored from their spark or from their sense of direction or whatever. Um, because the spark is something of a transcendental signifier that isn't uh, really, I think, fully granted a full understanding. It's not supposed to be. Uh, but they then find these people and conduct a ritual to restore them uh, to soulhood and presumably most of the time return to their bodies. So there is this sort of like Grim Reaper cop, dead like me, you know, bleach, but they're all hippies. Uh, and and then the jazz musician is kind of a fish out of water who ends up in their strange society. Um, and that's like a couple of scenes in the movie. Right. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Um, and I and I, and what that would suggest is what that it's in, OK. So as you've listening to how you've talked through some of the rest of the movie, it is interesting to juxtapose a that the protagonist is not really concerned with other people. Like it never really is. And it's OK. Right. He's not he's a private person. He has his own thing that he likes to do. He's a piano player. He doesn't really want to be out there dealing with other people. He wants to be with the music. He wants to sit outside and, and look at the sun sunrise or whatever. Um, fine. Right. Um, but he has been entrusted with the care of this other person who's in, in whose care he has lapsed terribly because he not only does he not impart upon her what she needs to go to earth, he actively discourages her out of greed for the control for his own body and his own life. Right. He actively discourages her from finding the thing, not intentionally, but unintentionally that will carry her forward towards her destiny. And he meets these people who make it their duty to find the lost souls and rescue them. And, and it is interesting that it is those people who rescue the lost souls, not the like 
disembodied lines that are the sort of archangels of this cosmology, right? It's, you know, Jerry, 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 and Terry, or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. uh, right? Um, They aren't the ones going to find the lost souls. Yeah, it it is interesting that it is kind of a volunteer corps of, you know, a volunteer Navy, if you will, (laughs) of of hippies uh, who do it. And, like, it it is interesting, like, the film does kind of say something interesting in that, like there's something similar the lost souls you can become a lost soul in a couple of well in a few ways but two of them are you know doing something quote-unquote soulless uh like working in the financial services industry um that like uh you know that that like uh as- twice <laughs> twice matt in 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> hey, that this second one isn't me. It's Pixar. You know, yeah. it's the guy, you know, and they, they go to like, uh, you know, investment banker or some, you know, some sort of person like looking at a Bloomberg terminal in a like, you know, row upon row of, of people doing the same thing who suddenly wakes up and is like, wait, what am I doing with my life? You know, I used to love the ballet or whatever it was like the, uh, you know, and he, uh, he has become a lost soul through, um, doing work that he is not passionate about that, you know, does not um, further his uh, humanness, right? And they rescue him, and and uh, this is kind of a uh, it's played for laugh. Uh, I'm I'm afraid to say, Pete, in the movie uh, oh, yeah, that this this whole this whole profession is played for laugh in in the movie, um, like the profession of trombone players. And the uh, you know the other thing, um, I mean, <laughs> profession. Uh, Wait, why, the- <laughs> why play a trombone if not for a laugh, right? <laughs> The so the 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 other way though is to get so into your meditative trance to get into that like flow state you know flow being borrowed from uh, like positive psychology um, being the kind of like the state of of uh, disappearance of self that happens when you're doing work uh, where you have high skill and uh, a sort of high difficulty problem in an area that you have high skill. So like, I, I don't know if you're a very good like crossword puzzler or if you're a very good, you know, uh, I think of them in terms of puzzles, but it actually doesn't have to be that like painting uh, or music, right? Where you're uh, a very competent musician uh, and you're you're playing your uh, music really involved in the work and uh, the characteristics of this state are are that the the idea of yourself as a separate thing from what you're doing um, tends to dissolve you tend to kind of become identified with the work you're doing uh, and time um, your perception of time is kind of messed around with it's one of those like hours can pass in seconds uh, sorts of um, sorts of types of experiences. And there are, you know, there are like uh, books written about it. There was one guy in particular at the university of Chicago who wrote about this. And it's generally like in sort of in the world where we're all supposed to become uh, productive, where, where we all have to like think about being productive because there's no social safety net. Um, And like, you know, we, we have to feed the machine so that the machine doesn't eat us all up. Uh, This idea of flow state has been co-opted as a, as a kind of self-help. And it's a good thing. Thing, right. Like it's a good thing to sort of find your flow state as a software engineer or as a, you know, I don't know, as a, an accountant or as a, you know, a trombone player or whatever. Right. That like uh, this is this is good. But the 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 interesting kind of countercultural thing that this this movie um, that this movie kind of suggests is that 
that state, that kind of disconnected state has a, a downside, you know, um, it's sort of very gratifying, but it's also very self-involved to the point where like you can kind of become a lost soul through, through that as well by getting like a little too much you know, by getting a little too much uh, into it. And even if it's not, if you don't become the sort of monsters, the kind of like, uh, you know, the the giant hulking figures, um, you know, trudging their way through the land of lost souls, uh, you you are adjacent to them, you know, in this sort of this like astral uh, zone, this this astral precinct. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's a, it was kind of an interesting, a, a kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, like the, the, to think about that, that sort of flow state, which is, you know, so lionized, um, a, because it's pleasurable and B, I think because these days, because it's economically useful, uh, that like, uh, that there is a, a downside to that as well. I don't know. I thought, I thought that that was some of the most, um, some of the most interesting, you know, uh, cosmo- cosmological stuff um, in the uh, in the movie. Anyway, we probably probably should should uh, probably no. I mean, thank you for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know, Mark. What do you think? Are you in flow state right now? I'm thinking about the imagery there, in particular of the, of the lost souls. Um, and it, it, there's, is it safe to say that like a, a addictive behavior and addiction is like a certain subtext there that's the vibe that i got from it i don't know if any of uh, anyone else of you picked up on it it's not i don't think it's explicit in there but like you know what it was it was actually the uh the person um who, who was working in financial services like his his thing that he says over and over again is one more trade one more trade uh-huh. one more trade um and it's like he's like lost in like it, again that is not at all explored in there but um, that's where my mind mind went in that, and so like it's it's all interesting stuff, and it is it, like a lot of the things in this movie it is explored maybe about halfway or maybe like a third of the way to something that uh like we kind of elevated this to that like top tier Pixar level. Like I don't know, I, I, this is getting off into the different thing here, but like you know I did rewatch Inside Out, and like that movie just like nailed every element of its like uh, allegorical storytelling. <laughs> And uh, all of its kind of complex story mechanics, but this movie like has lots of gestures uh, in those directions and doesn't quite take any of its balls totally over the finish line. It is uh, slightly sh- more sh- uh, loose, looser, and more improvised, uh, as is befitting the, the 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 jazz theme of this movie. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah, go for it. Uh sure. Yeah, I mean that that is interesting. There is like the the other Pixar movie this year is Onward, right? And was that this year or has time lost all meaning because I've been <laughs> no, in the 2020 n- flow new state. New Year's New Year's was 2 days ago. Oh god, sorry. I've been in the I've been in the flow state. Uh It was the March 2020 thing that was originally supposed to be like in the theaters like all of like a week and then got pushed to Disney Plus. Yeah. In short order to uh yeah, to entertain us during the first days of quarantine. Well, that's, that's good for them. But it's, you know, I was thinking about this actually, because, you know, that, that was a film where also like, we thought like, you know, there's a lot that's, that's really kind of interesting and suggestive here. Um, and not like suggestive of sort of a deeper, 
uh, a deeper movie that this that this wasn't. But it it didn't it didn't totally land all of its ideas. And I, I, you know, to a certain extent, it's it's kind of funny that like, well, yeah, but like the 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 problem with the the recent cartoon is that it was not philosophically rigorous. But this is overthinking, and we're allowed to say things like that. Because <laughs> um, we're a joke. <laughs> But like, <laughs> um, uh, or but the- <laughs> are we? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> oh, trombone sound effect. If only trombone soundboard is what this podcast has been has been lacking. Um, but that like, uh, there was a similar. There's a similar thing there in ter- you know in terms of like a, a high level diagnosis of like, gosh some of this stuff doesn't really cash out and it doesn't, I feel like it would be stronger. It would allow it to, to be stronger artistically if it were willing to take a position on some of these ambiguities rather than just to kind of let them be ambiguous. And, and I guess like a couple thoughts about that. One is that like toy story or cars or, you know, Monsters Inc. or like when when you kind of create a fantasy world, you can or alter the rules of the fantasy world such that you can have satisfying endings. Um, at least that there are that they're possible. And you know, the idea of like, well, what is it? You know, the, a lot of stuff that doesn't like cash out in terms of like, well, that that doesn't totally, totally make sense. Um, like because they're they're tackling the quote unquote real world, which I guess it they were like fantasy elf creatures, uh, with an invisible father who was only a pair of pants. But like that that like the uh, you know, the the real world, like like you do, right? Um, not not just the real world, but adult concerns of the real world. Well, yeah, that was, and that's the other thing, right? That like you can't you can't sort of juke the stats, uh, as they say in the wire, right? Like you can't alter the the rules of the universe so that a satisfying um a sort of satisfying ending becomes possible though, though it does like, there are a couple things where it's just like, like the, the, you identified Pete, a problem with the central tension of this movie that I think it's worth teasing out uh, a little bit. I don't know. Do you, do you, is it clear what I'm talking about? Do you want to dive into it? No, no, by all means, why don't you, why don't you well, uh, the, let the, me know where you're headed? The idea of being a band director and being a jazz musician at the same time, um, these things aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. in fact, you know, a lot, uh, uh, it seems actually like a pretty good way to make ends meet, uh, while you do your night job of, you know, if you're lucky enough to get gigs and like play in clubs, like that doesn't come with, uh, with health insurance, you know, and like you, you ought to, um, you ought to, especially do it. in New York City where you don't have to go on tour, you just like stay here. Yeah, in you town. could be a you could just be a session or like a gig musician, put something out there. They still do Craigslist over there and like <laughs> see if anyone needs a piano player in their band and you could just go play. But yeah, yeah. yeah a lot of musicians, a lot of like practicing musician professional, you know, at the like full-time professional musicians, orchestra musicians make make a side gig teaching lessons, teaching private lessons and like, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like if you are not getting your health insurance from the musicians union or something like that for, because of your like sweet orchestra gig, you know, it, it, it may as well, 
<laughs> I'm sorry, but that should inspire laughter, right? That is a joke. <laughs> um, like you, you know, getting it, getting it from a from a school district for for you know teaching band or whatever. Like that does not sound like that bad. Uh, that bad an option. So the yeah. the sort of the central tension. Uh, I mean, of course, it's meant not to. It's it's not meant to signify literally, right? Like, which is a problem um, when the sidewalks look so perfect uh, in in the film, right? Like, the, there's a level of realism to the environments that makes some of the kind of the more allegorical stuff, like the the this character's central conflict, is not necessarily meant to be like an economic one of like, hey, what should my you know what should my main source of income be? Um, it it's it's meant to be like what should i uh you know should i structure my life around what seems practical or you know what what seems fulfilling i guess um or or some such and that you know but i don't know it, it, it are we should we give it that that slack anyway this is what this is the thing that you identified pete in yeah. in our talk before it you know that like the idea that a uh uh jazz band uh high school teacher middle school teacher you know would be playing music uh <laughs> at a professional <laughs> level this is not uh this is not that that outlandish and like why can't right. you just you know uh why not both yeah I, that, I thought that was interesting now granted this is not to say that it isn't hard to be a full-time artist or a sort of committed professional artist if you do have a full-time job, but it's hard to be an artist regardless, right? So it's not like there's, there's an easy solution. The notion of just quitting your job in order to do this is it's not a solution to the problems, right? You have to find some way to make it work for you. And, and I mean, I'm saying this with some small degree of experience, attempting various sorts of ways to hold down a job while also performing in various sorts of theater, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's there's no there's no formula to follow that will cause you to succeed. So, you know, if your situation differs a little bit in that you are a band director, I, I mean, if anything, if you're in middle school, one would think that you might be able to get out of work relatively early. Right? Like, I, you know, relative to, say, if you worked at a Trader Joe's. Right. Maybe you wouldn't have as much, you know. And again, I'm not saying those two jobs are equivalent, but I'm just saying, like, well, how else are you going to live? When you aren't already making a living full time as a musician. Yeah, I guess I guess that was and again, I don't want to get bogged down in the details, but it's it's it, I think when you brought up the degree of verisimilitude, I would use the word verisimilitude in the setting, in the exterior environment, right, in the backgrounds that the characters are moving through then you would expect there to be a commensurate amount of verisimilitude in their circumstances, as you've said before. And you've contrasted or compared it to Onward, right, where things are more fantastical, but they're also kind of dealing with real-world adult problems, and it also kind of doesn't really work. Um, although I think people did like this movie generally more than they liked Onward. Um, Those are very but, adolescent problems also. But for Onward, yeah, yeah, they're more adolescent problems. I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite 100% following whether we were praising Onward or not in that whole batch. But then again, having watched Onward, I'm not sure whether to praise it or not. Uh, but at any rate, the, the, le the feeling of groundedness that would cause the form and function of the movie to really support and imbue each other with a sense of stakes and a sense of life could potentially have been stronger if the tone of the problems that he was dealing with matched more with the tone of the environment he was living in. However, 
the characters are also very cartoonish. And, and I mean, you guys also pointed out in our discussion beforehand another element of it, which I'll, I'll, I guess I will further punt back to you, which is that there is a continuum in this movie. Not even continuum. There is a, there is a line, um, a line segment in which there are big dots, right? It's sort of like, you know, raising or lowering something that has big sort of chunky slots to be like, like a lawn chair. Like you're trying to raise and lower a chair by a pool at, a, at some sort of hotel where they don't maintain the chairs well and there's like there's up and there's down and on one end is every granule of concrete and every sidewalk crack on one end is the to the point realistic map of the new york city subway that is on the wall of the new york city subway in this movie right and then it moves through to like the characters and how they move and how they talk and then all the way on the other hand is uh the hands Yes. No, it's not. I mean, or is that what you actually? Is that what yeah, you actually? Yeah, that's meant? what I meant. Oh, that's okay. what I meant. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I thought like, and it is. It is funny that like um, the drawing, the like the one comment that's made about drawing in this film is hands are hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's but, not trivial. It's not trivial. It's important. No, because because it's important because the guy's a piano player and they show his hands playing uh, playing the piano. And I sort of noticed that even in like even if you grant. You know, like Grant sort of heuristically that like um, we're going to be in a movie with like hyper realistic animated environments and slightly less realistic uh, character design, like slightly caricaturish uh, character character design. Um, that's OK. But like it's it's uh, the the hands seem to be animated. The hands of the piano playing character were animated in in a way, and was I the only person who thought this, or did you see it as well? They oh, were no, an- I thought you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were animated yeah, yeah. in a way where, like, they were not at the same level of they were not in the same style as the rest of the character design, like as the rest of uh, as the rest of his body, as the rest of his kind of like physical manifestation, you know. And that's, I mean, it's sort of interesting. Like my my. Um, I uh, had a professor in grad school uh, who was uh, Gil Cates, the director, uh, who said, uh, who gave a definition of style in practical terms for people making movies, which was uh, style is a consistent distance from reality. Um, which, you know, I, I'm sure like ontologically you could poke a lot of hole, uh, you could poke a lot of holes in, but like, um, you know, in practical terms, in terms of like making something and like figuring out, okay, how are we going to draw the characters and how are we going to draw the characters' hands? Like in what style? Well, style is a consistent distance from reality. So we should, you know, make some, whatever our stylistic decisions about the, the characters uh, are, they should also apply <laughs> to, uh, to the hands, um, that, that the characters have. Uh, th- though, you know, I think Mark, it was you who pointed out, um, it it was cool to see the uh it was cool to see the piano player's hands actually track the notes that you hear on the soundtrack uh that um that the character is yeah. supposed to be playing it's a neat technical feat for sure and i like i don't want to take anything away from from that and the people who have made this movie but like just to to go back to that comment right style is a consistent distance from reality um that is it speaks to the movie's ambition that it does not hold that consistent distance from reality, right? You know, we've got this, like, very abstract um, uh, afterlife and before life sequences. You've got, quote-unquote, 
real life, uh, with especially at the beginning of the movie in New York, um, and then the strange in between world with the with the animated talking cat in between as well. Can we talk a little bit more about the cat stuff, by the way? Um, yeah, about how sure. like that is like you know this weird sort of <laughs> weird, weird movie within a movie. Um, does 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 it not owe quite a bit to Garfield? Like, can we just start <laughs> and acknowledge that the enormous creative debt that this movie has to Garfield? I mean, the, the you know they replaced the the lasagna with pizza, but yes, I see I see where you're going there. So it's the Shaggy Dog meets Bleach meets Garfield. <laughs> so is it is it because he's Bummed out about Monday, but doesn't have a job. No, that's 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 the cat. So so the you mean Garfield the CGI movie Garfield? The, Ameri- the, uh, the American president. The degree of frustration that the cat has in getting around everyday life and is sort of ennui. Um, I'm mostly if- referring to that, like you know, it's it's a man and his cat, and right. um, you know, we are we are given privilege to the interiority of the cat. Which other, uh, generally speaking, other other characters are not able to access. Um, now, sidebar on Garfield, right? It is uh, ambiguous. For Garfield. <laughs> it is ambiguous for Garfield. at best if John Arbuckle knows what Garfield is thinking. I think it generally points to no, um, but uh, with with some inconsistency or there. But it, it is it is mostly a joke and superficial, um, but still worth noting. <laughs> But that, like, it's interesting, like, because, you know, it's a man and his cat, but the man is the cat. And also, like, whereas whereas Garfield is is extremely zen about everything, like, Garfield is really unattached to well, being a cat, you know. Except unatt- lasagna. Is unattached to whether his owner lives or dies. Yeah, exactly. Except lasagna. Um, th- this cat is, like, you know, sort of hyper-attached. This is a cat. This is an anti-Buddhist cat. You know, this is a, a cat of... of hyper attachment and of uh hyper participation in the uh, hyper uh you know kind of grasping in the world's uh in all of the world's suffering so that that like um <laughs> you know i don't know like uh and the 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 cat it's sort of, i guess it is like uh in garfield where you want to say to the cat god it's all about you isn't it cat it's all about you uh but uh yeah it's um you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't mean to to come off like I'm not sympathetic sympathetic to the guy. I feel like I sound really. I feel like I sound really critical. Part of it is that you know we 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 joke around. We kid. We do. It's what we do. We kid. But um, I I don't know. I was I was uh into the character. I was like uh living living uh living the character's life. Uh, living the character's unlived life along with him. Uh, in in the course of this this film, I don't know. Um, do you feel like it, it is, I mean, we're talking, it's like adult concerns just as a marketing move. Is this smart? Like, do you think, you know, is this, is this a film that, that you feel like children get something out of and adults enjoy as well? Or is it, uh, really just a, a film for adults, but delivered in a, a vehicle that is usually marketed to, uh, to much younger humans? I have no way of knowing. Yeah. I mean, my we, my son was asleep when we watched it. Uh. I, it is notable that when, on Disney Plus they advertise it as the guy and his cat, right? It's like the the guy smiling and the cat smiling, and that's kind of the story. So I wonder if there's sufficient antics in this movie to make it enjoyable. There's a lot of antics. 
there's a lot of running around. There's the pizza scene where the ghost eats the pizza and immediately poops it out her butt in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's definitely lots of because because, again, it's like we're dwelling on the stuff that we most connect with, which is the struggle, the existential struggles of former concert band musicians right? like and, and jazz band musicians um, as they confront the choices that they've made in their lives. Uh, and but there are, I guess, other perspectives you could look at it from, like the perspective of, you know, kids who are trying to figure out how to get jazz done growing up. Um, but also, I guess, just goofiness in general, general uh the accessibility of the archangels was interesting, right? The sort of there are these inhuman lines, but they have this iconic uh, identifiability and personality that's traced in there. And I wonder if like the Jerry, Jerry, Jerry and Terry, who's that joke for? Is it for adults who will bemoan the uh, kind of same Z bureaucracies that they deal with in their own institutional lives? Or is it for children because their names are funny and they rhyme? And it's funny that everybody has the same name. I don't know. I mean, Mark, did you did you show this to any children? Uh, Just like on I, on the street, you're like, "Hey, get over here, kid." I, I, I didn't. So, side note, also in terms of like you know what what kids are or not into, I showed my two year old um, the first like one minute of the Lego Star Wars holiday special, and he recoiled in fear because <laughs> there was like the sequence with the lightsaber and the little uh, training droid. You know, that you see in episode four uh, shooting one of the other characters and a lot of uh, frantic swinging of a lightsaber in response. Um, so uh, not appropriate for your two year old. Um, I think the entryway for like older kids for this movie is definitely the character of 22. Um, you know, all, she is an old soul, like clearly in this. But um, that's got to be some stand in for just like, you know, maybe like uh, preteen trying to figure herself out. Um, and, and, and build your identity. So that, if I had to guess again, without any direct access to a preteen, um, of that sort of demographic would be, uh, the appeal for the younger set. Yeah. It's, it's funny that we focus in on the, the middle-aged fella and his, you know, uh, the kind of the vicissitudes of, of his life. And yet there's a, a sort of much younger, well, really actually in point of fact, much older, but kind of much younger presenting character, uh, who we don't, um, you know, who we don't actually, uh, focus on as much. I, d I don't know. Is there anything that you want to say about number 22? Uh, either of you, Terry, Jerry, Jerry, Terry, 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 <laughs> Terry, 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 of that, of like, uh, you know, that uh, stuff that you noticed. Well, it was weird that she said she'd been around for thousands of years, but also that time had no meaning where she lived. But that's a nitpick. That's unfair. Um, it was Tina Fey playing a child, right? Which is, which I guess she did okay. Um, I mean... First of all, she's Chinese, which is interesting, right? Or it is wait, funny. It's like unpack that, please. Oh, well, it's not, I, to be clear, Tina Fey is not a Chinese woman. No, well, but I no, thought it was. She, I thought it was the subcontinent that they were that they were headed for. But oh, that, that's interesting. Right, right. I thought they were headed for Inner Mongolia. Um, uh, I mean, we were, it's funny we were talking about this because as she's heading. So what we're talking about, if you haven't seen Soul and you're still listening to this, is at the end. When 22 has decided, you know, OK, I want to live, I'm going to take the leap and, and kind of leap down out of the before time onto the earth and kind of descend onto the earth like Wesley Snipes in Drop Zone, uh, you know, hand in hand with Jamie Foxx. Uh, we see 
the part of the world that she's going to land in, which recalls, of course, the comic book Red Sun, where what if what if Superman landed in Soviet Russia? How would things be different? Uh, what what if we, Liz Lemon lands in communist <laughs> China? <laughs> How would Thirty Rock have been different if Liz Lemon grew up in, in a in a one room house? <laughs> well, guys, on the northern guys, boundary of Mongolia with uh, an electric heater. <laughs> I think I think it might have gone a little something like this. I'm going to need a one word suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought you had to pull out a piano and I was going to be really impressed. Um, but no, but she, I, there's a question whether she's going to land in India, whether she's going to land in China, whether she's going to land in Tibet. Although I know in, it's a Disney movie, so Tibet doesn't exist. Right. Um, and then, yeah. or, or the, and I'm sitting there and my wife turns to me, she's like, is she going to live in Mongolia? <laughs> like, what is she going to do? Which of course the, the idea being that like, partly, Man, like, you know, if she's going to be in live in a place which has like significant challenges and hardships of a very immediate sort, that this character is not going to be prepared for those things. Right. It's like, oh, I don't know whether I should contemplate leaves or not. And it's like, hey, it's freezing and you have yak milk and nothing else. Enjoy. <laughs> right? Like and I know it's not like that for real, but like for real. Come on. Right. Like it's. uh But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um I don't think it's by accident that she lands in Asia writ large because she's not supposed to be near him. Right. It's supposed to be a bit of a surprise that she's far away from him, I would guess. Right. Um, or does it just show you the part of the world it thinks you're from and we were using a VPN or something? Oh, that's it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the personalized based on your IP address and other like location aware services, the, yeah. the, the personalized uh, ending of the ending of the film. No, I mean, it's that is interesting. I that's sort of a narrative necessity, I suppose, to kind of forestall the thing of like. Well, Jamie Foxx, go go find the baby. Go find baby yeah. Tina Fey. You know, right? I mean, your friends. I, yeah, I think Tina Fey was probably selected for her sort of wry, you know, her like wry at persona. You know, so that so that twenty two could be like kind of sarcastic and like kind of uh, roll its eyes at at everything. I don't want to misgender twenty two because although it's a you know although the the uh, it's an actress uh, playing twenty two, we we sort of don't know, and that's actually kind of an interesting thing, right? That like. Twenty two could end up being you know could end up being any baby really you know, and that like uh, you you sort of don't. Uh, there there you know there's like a whole lot of there's a whole lot of unknowns there's a whole lot of uh uh how to put it epigenetic factors right like <laughs> in the uh in the soul as well as in the body i suppose it's going to be rough if there are no trees where she grows up because yeah. trees are like her thing so hopefully it will work out all she's going to be born in the um, a, a medical facility at a Foxconn plant, and then she'll be put <laughs> immediately on the assembly line. <laughs> making uh, making iPhones, uh, ironically enough, that uh, have the uh, Disney Plus app pre-installed on them. You know, what were the odds? Amazing. I mean, here's here's another thing, though. And one thing we haven't really talked about with this movie, and I know we're probably running out of time, is that we should mention the great care that the movie takes to depict black American culture. And it is interesting that it's not a black American child. Right. And that she doesn't end up there. There's no, no point. Is it suggested that she's going to be? I just think that's an interesting choice because it 
uh, it takes the story out of a proximate community. It's because because one of the ways that you could tell the story of jazz is you can tell the story of jazz as the story of a people. Right. You know, it's born in the Delta, the, the farthest down river that you could go. Right. And in a, in, a, in a place where you're really, really deep into a lot of history, it, which is the kindest possible way that I could put it right in the trials and the challenges and the struggles that you deal with when you live in the Delta is not trivial, especially if you're black. And the idea that jazz is kind of a music that's born out of necessity, pain, and a desire for for lib- social, not just personal liberation. Pete, did you wait? Did you did you watch instead of Soul Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Because <laughs> <laughs> I hear that that's a thing now. I saw that at the Huntington Theater. I, I think back like a million years ago. So like 2018, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I saw it recently. Yeah. Did, yeah. It's, it's on TV somewhere or it's yeah, is Netflix, there a production of it. Netflix did an adaptation. Sorry. Ending our conversation about soul. Netflix did an, a, a uh, <laughs> an adaptation of uh, August Wilson's play from, I think 1984. Uh, it was, it represented the twenties in August Wilson's 20th century cycle, which had a, a play per decade uh, right. about the African-American experience and um starred Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman in his last Ooh. his last the last thing that he put on film uh and and I happened to watch it this this week as well and it was uh it is <laughs> um awesome it is very difficult <laughs> and it's also uh a completely different take on the yes. value of jazz in yes. uh in terms of like the kind of the the like sentimental education of the soul <laughs> you know right, as right. as a kind of like a, a sort of cry to be seen by the artist and uh, as a you know as a music that's important to black american culture right right and so Soul comes very strongly down on the idea that jazz is not those things, right? Or, or at least it doesn't come down strongly on it. It it does not at any point suggest. I mean, the barbershop, they don't even like jazz. Yeah. Right? So which is which is a big difference from how it would work in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is of course pop culture. Wow, what a shocker that it's of currency, right? That it's happening now. Um, that it's out there. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. But it is. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom also takes place in in the twenties, and like two things about that. One is that like it, you know, it was a legit popular popular music. Um, and two, what we think of now as jazz, like what Soul posits as jazz, is not what they were playing. You know, at the yeah. time in in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it was a it was a sort of different, really different characteristics to the music. Right, right, right. So, yeah, but I guess the way that I I loop it back is that at no point is the mentorship relationship between what is the protagonist's name again? Oh, Joe, Joe, between Joe and 22. At no point is that positioned as, well, you know, you know how to carry forward this legacy because you've been involved with the legacy of jazz. And at no point is it is it presented as an intra African-American experience. Um, and Joe has intra African American experience, right? He has a black community that he is part of very notably, right. uh, that he is somewhat disenchanted or dis alienated from, um, because he's not because, and not because of any particular sort of racial code switching, but just merely because he is an alienated person. Right. And so right. 
it is interesting that he is alienated from his community. And as we've described, he is not somebody who ends up finding his community or even finding other people generally. But he has this relationship with his child and the child is from outside the community, but it never comes up in the movie that she's from outside the community and that that would be of any interest at all. Right. I mean, yeah, when she sees his this- life, she's never like, oh, you're black. Right. <laughs> right. Like, oh, like, wow. Uh, what's uh, that uh, like? Yeah. Right? And what, what does this what's mean? Race? Or like there's yeah. there's a joke about not being able to get a cab. And like, what is that yeah. about? Like, yeah, that, you know. right by it, though, because at the end, um, the, the saxophone player uh, very easily hops into a, uh, a taxi. Hmm. Um, um, but to, 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 to tie this piece off here, since we we're talking about, you know, the, the jazz and the African-American experience piece of it. And, and <laughs> longtime listeners of this podcast will know that not, not, none of the three of us are black and are, are authorities of the African-American experience. Yeah. But I will say this, that um, it sets it up that the jazz club is supposed to be this place where the experience is passed through right at the beginning of the movie. We see that Joe's father takes him to um, this underground, literally underground jazz club, which by the way is, is heavily modeled after the village Vanguard, um, a, a subterranean, very intimate jazz club in New York city in the village. Um, uh, and it's this, you feel like it is this place. It is almost like this womb where uh, jazz is born and jazz players are born. And um, a tighter movie, a more coherent movie, would have a similar passing of the guard, perhaps to a next generation. But uh, no, 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 that does not happen. It's like it's, it's, it's in a weird way a dead end, right? Mm-hmm. Or a dead end, maybe like a, just a way station. Um, it, it, it does not uh, have that sort of heritage function. Well, it is. Um, yeah, it is. Movie. I mean, it is interesting that kind of like though though we meet uh, Joe's mother. Um, like the idea that that he would have a partner. I mean, I guess there is like he's dating someone or at least was or it's alluded to. But, you know, the the role of fulfilling relationships with other people is not really uh, brought up in this movie. And, the you know, which you can sort of take it as either that's a special case of the, the question of why, you know, heritage uh, as such is is not. Uh, really broached or the other way around that heritage as such is, um, you know, you need to procreate in order to have her- heritage. And that's it's just not something that this film is really, uh, really concerned with. It's very kind of individualistic and in that like the the purpose or the like the life experience happens, you know, in the context of one's own, um, you know, one's own kind of subjectivity. We may need to leave it there. Uh, just because we are, uh, we've uh, we've the guy is a cat, but he's <laughs> a cool cat because he's a jazz cat, right? And it's like, yeah, it's like it's like cat with a K, but with a C because he's a cat. Oh yeah! Wow. So uh, all you, <laughs> all you, all you cool cats and kittens. I, yeah. The the most surprising cameo was when Carol Baskin showed up to uh, take care to take care of the cat. Uh, in the film. So, you know, good, good to see that, that her relationship with, uh, Disney is continuing after she appeared on ABC's Dancing with the Stars. Uh, all right. We got to leave it there. Thanks very <laughs> much for listening. Thanks very much to, uh, to, uh, Pete and Mark for podcasting with me. Pete, I take back everything bad I ever said about the trombone. Can you, Matt? Can you? <laughs> 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 uh, we'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably 
doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. You know, this whole movie, I sat there in dread, waiting for it to get incredibly sad and just crush me. And then they showed an allusion to Patrick Ewing's dunk in Game 7 in 1997 in the, I think it was in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it was just like the tiger eating that kid in like a pile (laughs) of (laughs) 